Welcome, everybody. I'm Jeremy Rosenthal. This is the Lawyer Show podcast. How are you today? I hope all of you are, are happy out there, all of you individual. I hope so. Today on the Lawyer Show podcast, we have uh, Eric Higgins, who is a family law attorney and has been a family law attorney for many, many, many moons. So we're going to be talking about family law today. We're going to be talking about Eric today. I've let Eric know that today is about him. This is his hour. It's his show. We're going to be just kind of cutting it up. And and again, it's going to be completely about him, except it's probably not because it's usually about me. And I'll try my best to avoid that. It's it's hard for me. Um, as you, the individual listening, know, usually me, my wife, I don't even think she listens to this. So speaking of marriage, Eric, how long have you been doing family law? Uh, I've been practicing for about 30 years. I've been doing family law since the beginning. So here in Collin County. Here in Collin County. <clears throat> I was, I worked for Judge Dry when I first came out of law school and then kind of started bought his practice out and kind of narrowed it down to family law once he took the bench. So he had more of a general practice. And so I kind of cut out the the personal injury, the criminal defense, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. so probably, you know, 25 years, almost exclusively here. Man. Yeah. Uh, where'd you go to law school? SMU. SMU. Very nice. Uh, I, I got done paying my debt to them lot later than I should have recently recently yeah I was one of the few man I don't know if when you were there I don't know if this was the case but man the 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 financial assistance line was very short yes when when I was there Um, but I was there every semester were you okay there's like me and two other guys who were in that line there's a guy named uh Carr Collins so and I don't know if this this uh there he was in our class and I didn't really know the guy uh, he drive to Porsche, not that that was rare, but there was a, there's a, the career s- services building is called Car Collins and it was state of the art, brand new when I got there in 97, eight, somewhere in there. Uh, was that building there when you were there? Yeah. I think okay. So. Yeah. But, and we had the human Car Collins like junior or the fourth or the fifth or whatever. I don't, right. I didn't see him in the financial aid line. No, he wasn't there. No, I didn't even have a parking sticker. I parked behind Kubi's, behind Snyder Plaza. You know, just walked mm-hmm. to law school. Yeah, I got to be a. Ma- I still to this day am a master of parallel parking. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I am not kidding. I'm good at it, but and that's all because of SMU law school. For, oh, you're you're damn right. They had uh, what were some of those? There's some of those. So there's there's uh, Hillcrest, right? Hillcrest, and then there's Daniel. And the law school is on the corner of Hillcrest and Daniel. And then there's, uh, I'm trying to think of some of those side streets that, by the library. Oh, yeah. The library? The library. <laughs> yeah, that That's was where a, the books are? I, I <laughs> see, I, yeah, exactly, exactly. Un- Underwood Law Library, right the there under, on Hillcrest. Yes, the Underwood, uh, Underwood Law Library that uh, celebrated its like 40th anniversary or something. Yeah. Very, very recently. And they, there was also one thing at SMU was there was always a free lunch. Sure. Or, or two, uh, you would go, uh, a lot of your big law firms would, would have lunches out there. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, so you, did you always want to do, uh, so, so going from SMU, uh, and working for, uh, the future judge dry, uh, that's a, not quite a typical career path for SMU students, at least not for my class. Um, most 
folks kind of went to bigger firms, medium-sized firms. What made you want to go to a smaller practitioner? My mom was a paralegal, you know, in Collin County for years, had worked for, uh, you know, some local guys that, that you would know. And so that was what I was used to growing mm-hmm. up as a kid and what I was around and really what I was comfortable with and knew that ultimately that's what I want to go back to. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to do. One of the and at SMU, I mean, one of the things that I had to deprogram myself of was the idea that um, you know the real lawyers are the employment section at Gardier Win. Sure, you know, and they let you know it. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And and there's almost it's not a stigma, but I mean, when you want to help people for a living, it's not it's I'm not gonna say it's not frowned upon but it, it it's it, um I mean they, they the 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 free lunches are from those law firms sure. they are recruiting uh all day every day they're uh, they want their stud lawyer right their their recruiting class as, as it were and um and then somebody who says yeah I, I want to be a prosecutor or I'm going to go work for a, a small shop up in Plano right um you're, you're kind of the odd duck there. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's so much competition for those jobs. And the good news is when I went in to law school at SMU, I knew that's not the direction I wanted to go. So you don't get caught up in that rat race necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's a net, you know, it's just a, one of the, one of the processes of law school is fighting for those jobs and fight for those, you know, summer internships mm-hmm. and clerkships. But I never got caught up in that because I always had work. Mm-hmm. in Collin County for one of the smaller firms knew that's what I wanted to do. So didn't get caught up in all that back mm-hmm. then got took advantage of some of the free lunches, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Good for you. Wasn't fighting for the job. Good, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. That's uh yeah, I did that too, but I did get kind of sucked into the, you know, Oh yeah, I need to be in the employment section right at this, at this law firm. Right. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good way for your first few years of being a lawyer to be like a lampshade. Sure. Or, uh, you know, like a, like, like holding up the conference room table, sure. uh, sort of, sort of underneath. So you got, you get out, you start working and, and, uh, tell everybody a little bit about judge dry. Um, I remember judge dry, uh, former 199th district judge, but go ahead and, and, uh, talk about him just a little bit. So that way, when we reference him and I'm big on name dropping to particularly on the, on this podcast yeah. for our listener, just so they know what a big deal I am. You know, a lot of people I do. I do, And I'll let you know that I know a lot of people. <laughs> There's a lot of self aggrandizing on here. I've been licensed now 20 years, which is the threshold mark I find to really kick your name dropping gear to another level. Right. Uh, so judge dry had a, you know, he had a general practice in Collin County for years and my mother was a paralegal at his firm. Um, as I was in college and going to law school. But, you know, he would practice back in the day where if you represented somebody, you represented a family. If the son picks up a DWI, you represent the kid in a DWI. If mm-hmm. the uncle needs a bankruptcy, you represent the guy in the bankruptcy. You know, you did everything. You did divorces, mm-hmm. you did bankruptcy, <clears throat> uh, personal injury work. He did some personal injury work. Um, ultimately, when Judge Roach was appointed, uh, to the Court of Appeals in Dallas, then there was an opening in the 199th. And so Judge Dry put his hat in the ring for that. And mm-hmm. uh, back when 
Bush was our governor. Mm-hmm. And so Bush appointed him to be the judge of the 199th, and then I bought the practice out at that point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was it just you? It was just me. Just yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you pared it down to just family? Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of criminal defense for a few years, but then just pared it down to family. So how do you buy out a practice? I, I've heard of that happening. I've never seen it happening. I had a, I have a family member in California. I've got some relatives in California. One out of eight of them practices law. Uh, and somebody got a bench back in the seventies. And then I've always heard, Oh yeah. You know, uncle Joe or whatever bought him out. How does that work? Well, with, with judge dry going to the bench, it's not like, you know, I wasn't buying the goodwill of the business. He was gone and on the bench Really, ours was more of an asset and receivables type of you know, transaction at that point in time because he was, um, once he got the word that he was going to get the appointment, all that happened pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so then we had to quickly jump into some negotiations really on what cases I was going to take, where we're we going to offload some cases, mm-hmm. what assets were there for me to purchase, was I going to purchase some of the receivables. So. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a let's go out and figure out what this entity is worth as an ongoing, mm-hmm. you know, entity because he wasn't going to be around anyway. So he's right. going to the bench. So, you know, okay. ours was a pretty simple deal. Good deal. Uh, Heidi is here and she's making Hi, sorry. Yes. hand gestures. You've got a microphone. To, well, I didn't want to say anything about that. You hear the crowds cheering for Eric? I don't hear it, actually. No, hear I hear it? it. There's a, yeah, there's a big audience here, our studio audience, and there you can, you at home may be able to hear the, the chatter in the background. We're not very good at disciplining them. But what were you trying to motion to him? Well, I wanted him to talk just a little bit closer to the microphone because it's kind of fading in and out a little oh, bit because I wanted his, to make sure everybody can hear him. This is his fault. Well, you have to talk a little close. It's kind of weird because you have to talk pretty close to okay. the mic, so it's a little awkward. Okay, let's, man, let's kick it all the way up. Let's talk about practice, family law practice in the year 2022. What's hot, what's not? Well, obviously, in all of our areas of practice, we're dealing with COVID and how it's impacted us, not only from how we try the cases, how we have hearings with our judges, how the witnesses appear before the court, but also, you know, in family law cases, we're seeing, you know, husbands and wives who are now at home. Mm -hmm. Maybe they haven't gone back to their jobs in the office or working from home. And it's, you know, you're trying to figure out, can we really live together? We used to have two separate jobs. We spent some time together and now we're spending 24 seven together. So you're seeing a lot of that. You're seeing. I love, I, I love you. <clears throat> I can love you for the six hours that I'm dealing with you a day, but 18 is. 18 is stressful at times. Too much. It's stressful at times, especially when the kids are home and you know, we're seeing immunization issues. Do you want do you want your children vaccinated? People fighting over that. Absolutely. Wow. Letting the judges make those decisions about whether kids should be vaccinated at what what age should they be vaccinated? Um, you know, are you talking? Is it just COVID vaccine, or are we talking across the board vaccines? Um, I think COVID brought it to the table. I mean, okay. we're seeing across the board issues, um, but. I think COVID really brought the issue to a head, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of the cases, because the people that don't want to be vaccinated, they probably have a pretty strong opinion about immunizations mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're seeing more of those issues crop up in the cases. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, just the, 
the real estate prices in this area right now are affecting divorces. You know, you'll have one spouse that says, I want to keep a house. Mm-hmm. And they go, you know, we think we have $200,000 with the equity when then in this market, they've got three or $400,000 right. with the equity. And so how are you going to buy out the other spouse at mm-hmm. values, today's values, given the market the way it is right now? An unliquidated house, are you Correct. talking about? So in other words, you don't sell the house. You, but, oh, honey, this is, we got a million dollar house. No, we don't. We have a $700,000 house. Well, you're going to write me a check for, is that what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Fun. And then how you finance that. The spouse that wants to keep the house, do they have the ability to get the money to either buy the other Mm -hmm. party out, refinance the house, cash out, give them other assets that are in the estate. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's impacting a lot of our cases. Do we really, where five years ago, it may have been wife's going to stay in the house with the kids. She can afford it. They figure out a plan to buy the husband out of his equity. Today, that's a bigger challenge. The equity portion of that formula is, you know, more of a challenge today than it has been just because of the spike in real estate prices in this area. And and on the other side, you, you I mean, if, like at my house, if we start talking about selling our house because of just great, great prices or potentially inflated prices, it's a bit of a non-starter because for us, because the goal is to stay married, right? Um, we're going to get hit on the buy on the other sure. side too because somebody else is going to sell us their inflated house. So it's right. a bit of a wash. Right. Every, every seller's a buyer, right? Yeah, so you would think. I've got clients that you know, post-divorce, they go, I can sell my house for 300000 more than I bought it for. I'm a downsize. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what did you have to buy into? What did you have to pay for that per square foot? You know, and so, you know, it's not, it's not a great time to move. If I've got a 17-year-old, <clears throat> so we have some friends who, mm-hmm. you know, we're a year and a half from being empty nesters. And you have a lot of those people saying, do we want to sell now? go live in a townhouse for a year and a half because then we're not going to need that big house should we take advantage of this market. Mm-hmm. But if you've got younger kids, I mean, you're, there's just no way that you can, if you're going to sell, you're going to turn around and buy. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hit on both ends plus all the transactional costs, mm-hmm. you know, associated with. with so this. It's like anything else. I mean, if it's a crappy market to sell, right. you know, you might get a great buy on the other side, but you're going to get so it, it sounds like it's kind of relative, but you're here. You're dealing with almost a bubble. It sounds like because you're dealing with these unliquidated prices, absolutely, and theoretical prices, absolutely. But in a divorce case here, the court has to look at what the fair market value of the asset is at the time of the divorce. And so, <clears throat> even though they're not going to sell the house, mm-hmm. they have to take into account what the value would be today if it was going to sell. Mm. And so. That's presented some challenges in some cases. For sure, because if the prices come down to earth, then the one spouse who doesn't get the house is really getting a, a bit of a boon, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. Okay. So let, let's walk through uh, uh, one question I have, too, uh, and not to be too – this is probably a dumb question, and if it's a dumb question, tell me it's a dumb question because I'm not above dumb questions here. You're a guy. Is it better to represent the dad or the mom? Do some moms want to hire you? Do dads feel more comfortable with you? Talk about the the gender. I've never really asked this of a family lawyer. I don't think ever. Um, but 
Does gender play a role? And if so, how do people view that? I don't, I don't know that it has. I mean, in my practice, I've represented about 50% female, 50% male. So to me, it doesn't make a lot of difference. I think the important part is, is the client comfortable with you? I mean, I tell the clients, if we're going to be in court, we're going to be in a trial, we're going to be in a temporary hearing, mm-hmm. you got to have confidence with the person sitting next to you. And if you're a, if you're a woman mm-hmm. and you need a female there, then you should hire a female. I mean, you know, absolutely. You should, and, and vice versa. Um, but, and I've had, you know, potential clients come in and talk to me about that. And I just tell them, look, if you're, if you feel more comfortable having a female, you need to go hire a female. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know any attorneys, we'll refer you to some that are good. Um, I think that what we do day in, day out mm-hmm. in the courtroom really doesn't have a lot to do with our gender. It has to do with credibility with the judges. You mm-hmm. have to build credibility with your judges because what you do in a case today is going to impact mm-hmm. all your cases in that court mm-hmm. and how you treat that judge and whether that judge believes you, whether you have credibility in there. Same in our practice when we're trying cases. And so I don't necessarily think that's, uh, you know, a gender-specific issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's firms out there that market themselves for we just represent dads or mm-hmm. we just represent moms. And, you know, that's fine. I mean, that's marketing, right, to get people in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the clients that really want that gravitate to those types of firms. But I don't see that a lot in my practice. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what's interesting, though, and, you know, you're experiencing this, too, is, you know, historically, as we were practicing, we were in front of male judges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask about Middle-aged male judges, right? And the historic roles that Mm -hmm. mothers and fathers played in the family. And with, you know, all these new courts being created, all the new judges, and you can see the trend in Collin County. I mean, we're getting... Primarily female judges, right? Primarily younger judges, and so when you're in the courtroom and you're getting some decisions from them, you're getting a you know a perspective from a different generation, right? From a different gender, right? And so the expectations in the courtroom are different, you know, than when, right? We walked across that stage at SMU. You know, it was yeah. a different deal. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and I, you know, I hadn't given that a lot of thought uh, when it when it comes to family law cases. Um, and to another thought that I was having, so sometimes what I'll see is, um, because I know you can't tell because there's no video anymore in the podcast, I'm a male. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a male. Um, it's good that's cleared up. If, yeah. if, if, if <laughs> Jeremy likes to share if, that. If Ryan Kreck is on this, if Ryan Kreck is listening to this, which he, he won't, you know Ryan Kreck. I do he, know he used Ryan to, He used to work oh, with Oh, yeah, y'all. he worked with you guys. One, yeah, of the, one of the things, so, yes, Ryan Kreck uh, – well, great attorney, wonderful attorney, um, great human being. Uh, he has uh, one of the buttons that we like to push with him is we like to say, what are your gender pronouns? Because it kind of triggers him, you know, because he's like, I don't have to do this. So stupid. <laughs> but it's it's funny because he still kind of goes for it. He still takes that bait, you know, even though we've done it like even though times. he's like, why do you want that? And And it's like. You know, we're getting new doors. We're getting new signs for everybody's door, and uh, we just need your gender pronouns, dude. Just what are they? Just tell us what. I mean, are you they? Are you this? So he, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I got stuck on it, <laughs> correct? So, so with the uh, sometimes what will happen is folks will come in, 
in a, it, it, handling a criminal case, we have we handle a lot of cases. We handle a lot of sex assault cases. We handle a lot of cases where there's children victims, right? Sure. Uh, where the child could be of either gender, um, or the the complaining witness uh, in in sex assault cases, obviously. In grown-up sex assault cases, the, the the complaining witness tends to be female, um, pretty pretty regularly. Um, so the client will try to a, a lot of times will sort of psychoanalyze. Well, do I want a male sitting next to me or a female sitting next to me? Not for the reason that not for anything that I'm thinking about, but just because they think that that might play better to a jury. Uh, so that may that may impact their initial decision to hire in the first place. Uh, do you see that at all? Uh, or or so. are you told that? Yeah. I mean, I hear some of that from potential clients, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how it's going to play in front of, you know, would it be better to have a female attorney if I'm in front of um, a female judge, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, although we have a right to a jury trial in certain circumstances in family law, they're pretty rare to have jury trials. So, most of the decisions in our cases are being made by the judge, mm-hmm. which gives us a little more ability to talk to our clients about, you know, what these judges think about certain situations and certain cases, how they might feel about custody going to a father mm-hmm. as opposed to a mother, things like that. Um, but certainly, you know, you have clients who are uh, that want to know, am, am I going to be better off in front of this judge if I bring a female lawyer in that's sitting with me? Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, ultimately, I don't think with our judges as many cases as they handle, <laughs> I, I don't know that being a specific gender is going to change an outcome in a case mm-hmm. in terms of the gender of the attorney. Um, I think it's having an attorney that, A, knows what they're doing, can go, you know, mm-hmm. as I say, dance in the courtroom, they've got to be able mm-hmm. to try a case, but they need to have credibility with that judge. And, and whether they're male or female, I just think that's critical to have the credibility. And, and another, <clears throat> uh, another part of that too, is sometimes it can, sometimes you, you well, it, it's such a junk science, I think, picking a jury, uh, for instance, or a lot of times when you're talking about your audience, it's a bit of a junk science to try to psychoanalyze it. I mean, you would think, for instance, if you're trying a car accident case, uh, you would think that, uh, okay, here's an insurance adjuster who's on the panel, and you would think that, well, I'm, if I'm the plaintiff, I'm going to avoid that guy because, oh, my God, you work for an insurance company, you're going you're gonna to really hurt me. Um, and probably 70% of the time that might be true. Then again, in your case, the, the adjuster may get, may get on the panel, and he may think, oh, my God, this insurance company really mishandled this, and they, we would never do this, and, oh, my God, you know, this is our competitor and I hate them. So we're going to stick it to you. That can, I, I mean, things like that happen. You talk to jurors all the time. Uh, and, and somebody who says I was the, I was the, uh, victim of sex assault. And I, I'll tell you right now, you're not. Um, so not only do they not identify with them, but it, it has the polar opposite effect. Uh, so it's really, it's just so, so dicey to try to get behind that right yeah picking the jury is an imperfect science right mm. for sure slightly it's do we don't we <laughs> oh it's yeah and you don't i mean you're 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 giving people a really important job interview uh where you're getting to talk to them at most for two or three hours 
Um, I mean, in maybe a death penalty case, they'll give you they'll give you a lot more than that. But I mean, there's not a lot of those. Um, generally speaking, by the time I'm talking to the panel, they are they're hungry, they're pissed off, they're tired. Um, they've been they've been you know drilled from every angle about about certain issues, and so uh, yeah, it's it, it's just really hard to 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 you know to buy the right groceries, uh, if you will. Um, what makes a good client? Well, a good client, obviously they pay upfront in full. We'll just assume that. It's a theme in these podcasts. It really is. You haven't given out your phone number yet. Uh, yeah, we're not quite there yet. We're, yes, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the problem with this is I don't, you know, you don't have to do that over I, and over because I'm the only one listening. So I already know my, my, I so I already know it, but, um, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Just once though. Uh, yeah, I don't Actually, know. We're, we're, that's the one, a lot of name dropping, a lot of how many push ups we can do. A lot of that. That was, our, that was early in our podcast career. Oh, we, we can do that, that more. We we're fine. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, we, this is, see, that's my problem is we, we really haven't, uh, talked, we haven't talked too, too much about my phone number. Although that is, we could have a whole episode on my phone number. 972-369-0577. But like I said, I already know it. So, and I'm really the only listener. Maybe we'll send you a link and you can listen to it too. And, um, okay. So, uh, good client, good client. What makes a good client? A good, a good client in family law is one that, I mean, as you know, we see good people at their worst and in, mm -hmm. in divorce litigation is very emotional. So it's a client that is manageable, organized, reasonable, you know, even if there's emotional issues, they work through those. And then, you know, you get down to business. Um, uh, you know, it's the clients that listen to you and they, they, they take your advice. I mean, you, you know, you can't tell them what to do in every instance, but you can advise them generally how to act during mm -hmm. the course of the, you know, the divorce process. And you have the ones that walk out the door and do whatever they want to do and get themselves in more trouble. Ultimately you end up spending more time with them. It's more expensive for them. Um, but the, the good clients, they, uh, they come in reasonable. They're, even if they're not real knowledgeable about the process, uh, they are, uh, they're open to being educated about the process and, uh, they're open to, um, you know, we're, we're trying to, in our jobs, predict outcomes or what's a, what's the, you know, right. What, what's a reasonable, what, what's the range, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody that'll listen to you and say, okay, let's go try to get in that range. Is it going, I want to hit a home run, mm -hmm. you know? And so. You know, I, I really think just a good listener, an organized person, one that can control the emotions, regardless of what else might be going on in their case. Because you get, you know, like you said, we have cases with, we get the family line of it, but you have cases where children who are being abused physically mm -hmm. and sexually, you have cases where people are having affairs, you're having, you have cases where there's domestic violence between the two parties, mm -hmm. you know, and so there's a lot of raw emotion at times. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to be able to process that, get past it so that you can move through the divorce process in a more meaningful way. Do people get better as the case goes on at managing those emotions, do you find? Most of them. Yeah, most of them. 
But at some point, you, you know, you have clients that just don't listen to you. And at some point you say, look, if you're not going to, I don't know why you're paying me if you're not going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's someone else you'll listen to, let's go <laughs> hire them and get them on board. Or if you're not going to listen to anybody, let's just, you know, mm-hmm. let's go try this thing and get it over with, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, some people, you know, there's some clients just think they know better than anybody else. And so, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're going to take their own path. Um, but most of the clients, even the ones that are emotional on the front end, they get it under control. They understand it at some point. You know, it may, the learning curve is different for each client. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is their first one or, you know, their second one. It's not like they do this day in and day out and they're not used to it and they're emotional. And so a lot of our job is just managing expectations and managing those clients. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. lot of it too, uh, w- with a family case, is that it's so much more, fluid really than any other type of litigation uh i I tell folks one of the reasons i like criminal law is the facts don't change the knife was there the blood is there uh the the police officer knocked at at this time um we, we can really quantify the the universe as it were of of what's going on in this case whereas you guys um you're making one decision after another and the situation is constantly changing. Um, uh, really, in theory, up to 18 years uh, in a custody dispute, right? Because the parties are evolving. Those relationships are evolving. New, new, new partners are coming in and out. Sure. Uh, triggering whatever that does. Every day could impact the case somehow. Mm-hmm. Every decision you make with respect to the children could impact the case. Somehow. What who, school they're going to. What school they're going to, who their friends are, who you're dating, who you have around your children, all how you discipline your children, how you deal with the day-to-day issues, you know, whether you're going to be flexible with the other spouse for summer camps or mm-hmm. we've got a wedding or a funeral to go to. Every decision you make could be looked at. Whereas, you know, in your mm-hmm. criminal world, you have an incident. Right. You know, and that's what you're dealing with is that incident. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with. Guys, you got to make smarter decisions every day. You got to reprogram yourself mm-hmm. completely going forward, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I would say probably the closest type of case that we have and it is not even close, but uh the cases that involve alcohol um where uh it looks great on day 1 when they come in and they say 1 2 3 4 5 happened and I I put that in the hopper and I'm like, "Well, okay, we got we got some things to work with here, but if that client for whatever reason if they have a monitoring device and they can't quit drinking, their actions can put us in a substantially worse position than when they walked in the door. Sure. That doesn't happen much with us, but that happens probably a lot with you. Sure. I mean, so we have a lot of the same. I mean, I know you guys have clients who are out on bond and have bond conditions, and they may have to have a Soberlink device. They may have to be drug tested occasionally, even as a condition of their bond. We may have drug testing Soberlink requirements, alcohol testing mm-hmm. while a case is pending. And obviously with a missed test, positive test, you know, in mm-hmm. the world, you could have a, you know, you could forfeit the bond and mm-hmm. we're going back behind bars for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, in our case, it's, you know, you may not see your kids or you may see them in some restricted environment with somebody supervising it. And so, you know, certainly some of those same things because, you know, mm-hmm. it, you and I have some, you know, common clients and they have 
you know, they, they may have requirements in the family case. They may have requirements in the criminal case, you know, and they've got to comply with all these things or there's going to be consequences in both courts, right? Right. And, and the, the, you know, clients that in common for us tend to be very satisfied with their representation and get amazing results. They do. When they call 972-369-0577. what you started? Okay. What, what makes an effective family law practitioner? What makes a good family law lawyer? I, I mean, from my perspective, it's probably no different than your world. When we came out of law school and they gave us a license, we didn't know what to expect and how to advise clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to go get in the courtroom. You got to try the cases. You got to figure out what it's all about. You got you to learn how to win cases. You got to mm-hmm. learn how to get results for your clients because, you know, you can, it's easier for me today with a potential new client to manage expectations because you've tried hundreds of cases. You've been in front of these judges. You know what a reasonable outcome is. Even from the beginning of the case, you know how certain facts and cases might impact the ultimate result. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that you can, um, I don't know that you can replace that experience um, in trying cases. Um, obviously, you know, in, in in our world, there are a lot of our job is managing very emotional people. Mm-hmm. You know, some people may call it babysitting, but you you have people that are calling up. They're angry. They want you know something different. They want a different outcome. They want things to go their way, and so you have to be patient. Right. You have to have a good staff. Yeah. <laughs> that while you're in a mediation, a deposition, a trial, they're there to handle the calls that are coming in because you can never predict when those emergency calls are coming in. Mm-hmm. But you've really got to be able to manage people, you know. And so uh, in, in our world, knowing what a reasonable expect, you know, knowing what the realm of possibility is in the courtroom uh, or the range of possible outcomes and being able to manage the client to that end, I think is very important. Talk a little bit about staff because I think staff plays a much different role in family law cases than potentially what we see. Um, and I guess because we don't process a whole ton of discovery, we don't have to really produce any discovery. Sure. Um, and that that's a major part of family litigation. So talk a little bit about how about staff, what makes effective staff, and, and, and what folks should and do expect from staff uh, with your office or other family offices? Sure. Well, number one, you got to be organized because you're managing quite a few cases. Um, you know, historically, there probably is a little more paperwork in my practice versus your practice because we have gone through the typical, use the typical discovery vehicles, you know, we send out interrogatories and we send out requests for production and we're taking depositions and Mm -hmm. sending out disclosures. Um, You know, starting last year, we have some new rules about some initial disclosures that have to be answered very soon in a case. So where historically you really didn't have to start getting into in-depth discussions with a client about discovery issues until you got through that temporary hearing for the most part. Now, as soon as you meet with them, as soon as the case is filed, it's going to start triggering some disclosure dates. And, you know, they've got to start putting documents together, answering a bunch of questions 
on the front end, even without discovery requests coming over for us. Um, so the paralegals have to manage that process, all the deadlines of that process, mm -hmm. manage the clients. The clients are, it's hard for them on the front end mm -hmm. to want to focus on, mm -hmm. I've got to go get two years worth of bank statements. I've got to go get the deeds on the house. I, you know, when they're trying to wrap yeah. their head around, my spouse is cheating on me. I don't yeah. know if I might have custody of my kids. I don't know if I can pay my bills. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is, is, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, get kicked off of America, American bank of America online seven straight times. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's keeping the clients focused. It's going a deadline to deadline to deadline, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't a, well, we'd like to have it by then. It's a, you know, we need to turn this stuff over. So, um, you know, a good paralegal has to manage all the personalities, mm -hmm. all the deadlines, all the paperwork. So, you know, it's, you've got to have quite a skill set. I would imagine probably be a little bit of a therapist too, just to kind Absolutely. of manage those emotions for you so that you're not on the call. But Eric does that. that better than anybody well, though. Why yeah. would they need to talk to, they want Eric right. when they, they call. They do want Eric. Right. It's more expensive it's when more they expensive talk, when they to talk to Eric, Eric and not the paralegal. <laughs> they figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Very, they, a couple, a couple of heartfelt conversations later, they're like, Oh, well, part of it is, <clears throat> you know, in our world is, I mean, cost is a big thing, the mm -hmm. cost of litigation and, you know, you have to manage their expectations there too. I'll talk to them all day long if they want. But <laughs> we have a paralegal available who charges less, or if it really is therapeutic, do you really need a mental health professional? I mean, you know, as you mentioned, it's therapeutic every day in our office, mm -hmm. what you're dealing with, the different personalities and the issues that are coming up in their cases. But, you know, you've got to decide whether – you know, do you really need to go talk to someone else right. that has that professional license as opposed to my professional license? Right. Um, but you can't avoid it in our line of work, the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the therapeutic end of it. Yeah, uh, we, we, we do that quite, that happens quite a bit too with us. And, uh, and I'm like you, because we, uh, we, we do a lot of our work hourly as well. And it, it's, uh, I think that, um, yeah, people, uh, and again, I'll, I'll sit there like you, I'll be on the phone and I'll, I'll offer the best counseling that I can. And, and I tell people that my license on the wall, it says counselor. And I don't know why, cause I didn't go to counseling school. I went to law school. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they very quickly learn when they see it on the bill. And I think, I think that's another, I think that's a function of the attorney client relationship. I think that's a function of the bill is to see, is to see there's a real, barrier here and there's a real actual cost to the emotions that you're having and the inability of you to manage them on your own the fact that you have to ha to have to lean on somebody else's shoulder is in some ways sort of penalizing to them because you're billing them for it and by not this is how i rationalize billing people but by not <laughs> rationalizing it or not by, by not by not billing your client for that you're kind of in some ways punishing that you're, you're sort of sparing the rod, spoiling the child, sure. So to speak. Um, and the paralegal, yes, the paralegal, it has to be sort of that sounding board. Um, and they have to be, which means the paralegal has to be knowledgeable enough of the court system, um, be able to speak intelligently to that and have an emotional IQ of, uh, sufficient to handle the problem and be able to handle their own alcohol when they get home. Sure. Right. I mean, because that's 
big part. I mean, people are dumping heavy stuff on them all oh, day, absolutely, every day, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be able to put it aside and go home to your family. And you know, if you can't set it aside, you're not going to make it long. Yeah, your line of work or my line of work. Got to be a sociopath. It helps. It does. And to joke Don't you about, think, you Heidi? I mean, we, I mean, we, we joke about some pretty. Well, we've ruined you. Things. So I, mean, <laughs> I went to the dark side a long time. Yeah, ago. we've ruined you. So it's darker side, Heidi. Yeah, They're, it is. You darker. know, yeah, it's darker because there's no good yeah. part of what anybody of, of any of this stuff. What's a despite cool. what you think, it gets worse. <laughs> it can. Yeah. It, it gets You'll darker. You'll have days when you're like, wow. There, yeah, there. It's there. been six years, and this is wow. It, it, it's you know, every once in a while, we will have somebody who moves the needle a little bit with what with what happened to him, right? Um, and and the hard part is, and what they didn't teach us at SMU was the poker face and how to just sort of. Uh, Keep keep the face straight the the face straight and and okay well all right well that's okay well yeah no I understand that yeah I expected that I saw it coming yeah oh yeah I, yeah I knew you were going to come in here and say that that this is what you guys were into um, so that's uh, that, that that happens enough what, uh, what okay Eric so what makes what makes a bad lawyer? What makes a bad family divorce custody lawyer? What what do you, what do some of the less skilled, dumber ones? They don't know how to advise their clients. They have no client control. Okay, you're not going to get the case settled because they can't manage their client and their client's expectations. They don't know the law. They don't know. You know, you could get in some property issues, and they they don't understand valuation of a business for purposes of a divorce. They don't understand reimbursement claims. And so there's no way for them to advise their clients reasonably. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so unfortunately they turn those cases into bad cases because you can't get them settled. You got to go through all the discovery. You got to go try it. Mm -hmm. So on the one end, you know, sometimes it might be nice to have an attorney like that on the other side, because you know, when she get in the courtroom, the odds mm -hmm. of getting a good result for your client are probably pretty high. Mm -hmm. It's the cost of getting there, you know, and it, you'd rather have, I'd rather have a good lawyer on the other side to go, can we just sit down and talk? Let's just get to the point. Aren't these the issues we need to really be talking about to get this knocked out? You do discovery, you know, you spend your time working on tasks that move the case forward. Right. And when you have a lawyer on the other side that doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the ability to control clients, mm -hmm. then that's a hard task. I was right. in our office yesterday. We had another attorney who was actually acting as a mediator and they kind of came out and were venting for a second, but it was an attorney on one side of the case that just didn't understand the issues and didn't. So therefore wasn't advising the client. The client was driving everything mm -hmm. and the client wasn't knowledgeable about the legal issues. They weren't knowledgeable about what might be a, reasonable expectation in terms of the possibilities in court. And so, you know, those cases are the ones we get tried, unfortunately. Well, you end up chasing your tail uh, and, and solving problems that really shouldn't be problems. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's actually a phrase of yours that I've stolen, um, which is bad lawyers drive bad cases. Sure. Uh, because that happens in, in, in criminal cases too. Um, I'd rather deal with a smart prosecutor who knows what they're doing. Sure. Uh, than, than one who is just oblivious, you know? Well, and it, you know, there was a, there was a time in my career where you thought 
I'm going to spend some time trying to educate this lawyer on the other side so we get this case settled. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that ends, you end up spending more time and money of your clients mm-hmm. trying to educate them. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, once you have that on the other side, mm-hmm. there's a plow forward now. You know, it's just let's get to the courthouse. Yeah, you know, and let, let's let the judge make a decision about this stuff. And do you find that opposing counsel? Uh, so sometimes I, I don't know. I mean, it's w- one thing I find is that um, you know I, I I I remember being a younger lawyer, and I, I remember I, I there was always people who would teach lessons. I'm going to teach those guys a lesson. Sure. Right. And and. And prosecutors are kind of trained to, uh, they're sort, and I won't, I, I won't bore everybody to, to tears with it. But prosecutors are trained that this is how you get a client, a, a defendant to plead. You do, you you ratchet up the pressure, ratchet up the pressure, ratchet up the pressure, make demands, and then you put the defendant under a lot of pressure. But it sort of flies in the face of simple market analysis of supply and demand because i know that the prosecutor's main commodity is their time and the more i use that the more it's actually going to drive the price of the case down and not up right but um i guess you know from the standpoint of uh and and a prosecutor so so a lot of times they'll 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 you know want to teach a lesson that well you should have taken my offer Right. Um, and, and, and so I'm teaching them the lesson, lesson that, okay, well, if you're going to teach me a lesson, you're going to pay for this with right. your time. Right. You know, you're going to, you know, I'll, I'll, if you want to, if you want to be tied up in court over a dumb case for a week, let's do it. Yeah. Now, obviously I always have to weigh my client's best interest with that. Um, but do you find that, but, but ultimately we all walk away and nobody learned a damn thing. Right. Um, do you find that lawyers on the other side, like, cause when you say, you know, to educate the other side, um, I always found that, uh, really hard to do because whoever's on the other side is just going to have a hard head. Right. Uh, and be resistant to it for no other reason that it's your idea, not theirs. Right. And their client doesn't want to hear it. You know, it, it, they have a hard time going to their client and saying, well, we talked to Eric and this is how things are usually done. And so mm-hmm. let's get it settled. You know, that, that attorney is either going to go to trial, mm-hmm. get a bad result, or they're going to get fired. And we're going to have a new lawyer on the other side. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole process of, for me of trying to get, you know, I, in those cases where I thought I wanted to try to educate the other side so that we could get to a reasonable solution sooner, never worked or rarely worked. And so from my standpoint today with the perspective I have, it's, Let's just, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. we're going to go spend some more time together on this. Let's go spend some more time <laughs> yeah. together on this. Let's you go know? teach each other a lesson. Right. Yeah. You know, those those lessons don't come cheap. They come in the courtroom. So mm-hmm. let's just figure out when we're going to be in there. Let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's kind of how it is. Yeah. Okay. So the good news is, is we have a lot of great lawyers out there, you know, and probably in your business too. If I had a friend of mine that picked mm-hmm. up a DWI or an assault case and I said, oh, I'll help you with that, I would come in your world and mm-hmm. screw it all up. That's right? not true. I would. Oh. <laughs> You've, you, okay, okay. I yeah. mean. Because, you know, I don't know what I'm doing in y'all's world. I don't know the DAs. I don't know the changes in the code. I don't know, you know, I don't know 
you know, we're not picking juries all the time. We have lawyers that have that law degree that don't practice family law that are trying to help their friend or their mm-hmm. cousin or their uncle or their neighbor. Oh, that's and, gotta, that's gotta be hard too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the one that's just not educated and doesn't mm-hmm. understand. And that's the one, unfortunately, the bad lawyers drive it. I mean, they may be a good lawyer in their practice area. It doesn't make them a good lawyer here, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, I can do what I do in the family law arena, but I, I can't go try a criminal case right now. Do you find that there has to be bloodletting in certain cases? At times, which, you know, in Collin County, we have this local rule where temporary hearings are only 20 minutes aside, and there's some people that love that and some people that hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, if a client comes in and says, you know, I want to live in the house and have the kids, and my spouse wants to live in the house and have the kids, and we got financial issues. For the lawyer to go try that in 20 minutes aside is virtually impossible, right? And so it's difficult. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits of the 20-minute per side rule is if there needs to be a little bloodletting, we can get it out, and it's only 20 minutes per side. Right. And then they feel like they've had their moment. They've, their spouse has been cross-examined. A judge heard it. They don't realize that the judge doesn't care, <laughs> right? But they have the judge own. is doing math about the they, okay. Here's the mortgage payment, and here's the oh, and he does this to the yeah. he beats the dog. Okay, great, right, so. right. <laughs> but sometimes you can get it out. I mean, sometimes it's good to go. You know, we could be in negotiations over temporary orders, and I tell the other attorney, let's just go let them have it out. I mean. It, they need this. Yeah. They need this to is say therapy. It. Yeah. And instead of doing it in a day long trial or six hour deposition, let's go give them 20 minutes aside and let them have it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, th- there's probably a lot to that. And, uh, uh, I mean, really, I'm sure there is. I think that, um, it, and a lot of times people want to skip to, well, let's just skip to the end. Let's just skip to the end. But you're right because there's a lot of those emotions that just have to, be, before you can get your client to be, where you need them, they have to have that experience. And to some degree, they have to have their nose bloodied a touch too. They, they, need, their, they need a little blood on their nose, but they need somebody on their side to tell their story because they've mm-hmm. never told their story effectively and they <laughs> want somebody to tell their story. And if they just hear somebody stand up and tell their story effectively, a lot of times that will go a long way towards resolving a case mm-hmm. you know, sooner in a reasonable manner. Um, so, you know, the... the I go back and forth on the 20 minute per side rule, depending on which case it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and now we're, I don't know what's happening in mm-hmm. your world, but you know, with our new judges, they're saying when you set a final trial, you get two and a half hours per side. Well, I mean, we used to get two and a half days per side. So how are we going to try a custody case, all our property issues, the valuation of the family business in two and a half hours? I mean, it's, that's really it's, hard to do. It's impossible. And you've got to pare down. You really have to pare down um, what's important and what's not important. Yeah. But the problem is there could be a lot of things that are important that the judge just is never going to hear. Mm-hmm. And I understand the docking issues the judges have. I don't think it's the judge's fault, but the reality is well, you can't do it in two and a half hours. You know, um, the case that, you know, you were familiar with where I had a client who's under indictment for bad things happening to kids. Mm-hmm. We went in and asked for more time in the divorce because we were going to have to try custody issues, property issues. We had a bunch of people in the house on the night of some incident. Um, and we went and asked the court for, you know, we need more time. We can't try this two and a half hours. 
okay, you can have mm-hmm. three, three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, Thanks. It's well, I mean, you know, I get their docketing issues. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes having to manage all these sure. cases. And I think the judge is doing what she can do in that situation. But where we sit, you're right. Thanks. Yeah. Now I can get four witnesses on instead of three, but I can't get the 17 I need. So one know? question I was going to ask you that I didn't put in the outline, what judges do you want to call out today? And, and uh, no? Okay, uh, we can skip that. That's what, a traditional the, part of this podcast. The ones, the ones that are gone. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, Judge McCraw, Ju- Judge McCraw has a, a not current Judge McCraw. Uh, ju- clear, clear that up. Yeah. So, so Judge, uh, her the, father-in-law, her father-in-law, retired Judge McCraw tells a story. So he brought it. He got brought in uh, as a vis- visiting judge in somewhere in East Texas that uh, they had an election dispute and a uh, real small community, two hundred people, something like that, or, or two hundred voters voted and, and whoever lost like petitioned it and i think whatever texas statute at the time said you have to have at least one person that's not the guy that says i voted for him to have standing to bring your election deal and he says they brought me out there i went out there drove out to east texas uh and i said okay i need at least one person who's a qualified voter in this county or this whatever to come in here and say that they voted for the loser and they looked around the room, and absolutely, positively, nobody came came forward. So he's like, "All right, this is easy. We're over." <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so, uh, and it was a, of course, it was a real tight election. I mean, otherwise, it wouldn't have been sure. contested. But, um, um, okay. So one one bone to pick I do have with family law uh, attorneys and judges. Uh, so I've I've uh, the, the the ones that I've sat through where I get brought on because there's collateral criminal issues, and if I'm sitting in a temporary hearing. Um, always just kind of there to, to cover the criminal aspect of it, if any. One, one thing that I have is that lawyers object a lot to non-responsive, and then the trial judges sustain it. Correct. Which I, that drives my trial advocacy, because I'm of the belief that I have to control that witness. Now, I also don't have a clock on me which that's the that's a function of the clock which which has to be that has to be yeah because i don't have the i'm not on the clock but what happens if i if i'm in front of a jury and i object to non-responsive when i'm asking questions and that judge says no uh, uh, overruled then that witness is going to go nuts right and and because they, they've they've just shown that they own me so uh i i i was like uh, so i've seen uh, objection non-responsive and it gets sustained even before Whatever, but I guess that's is that it's that's time to, management. Function. That's to keep things moving. Yeah, I mean, they could. You, know, you got a party on the other side that's been trained to steal three minutes from you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you give them the yes or no, and they want to, you know, give you a narrative about some event. Mm-hmm. They're stealing the time, and if you only have twenty minutes in a temporary hearing, or you only have, you know, two and a half hours in a final trial, mm-hmm. you can't let them steal your time like that. So you know, that's and when. When you're there at the temporary <laughs> hearings, and you—I mean, you see those clocks. Oh yeah, they've got the clocks oh, up yeah. on the screen, and it's every second. <laughs> it's like I'm not sure they're listening to me. They're just on and off with the clocks. You know, they're I just mean, they're, yeah, they're time managers, and and so yeah, it, when you're down to three minutes and the guy wants to tell a story, you're gonna object. I it's mean, not responsive. <laughs> it's like a basketball game. It's like it okay, we're gonna call a timeout with eight seconds left, and we're gonna <laughs> so much jack in the box. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've got. Two more questions, and I can get these out in 15 seconds. Yeah. I mean, I, it, that was another part of it because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got, so, I've got some good material here, but I can't 
we can't use it because I can't I can't waste for the four minutes it's going to take to no. develop this one decent but probably relatively minor point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you got to hit the high points in a twenty minute per side hearing. Uh, it's the last bastion of trial by ambush. This, uh, these, uh, so so describe to our jury at home, to everybody, what is so so what are temporary orders hearings that we we do have? And see now we're on the clock here because we've only got a few minutes left. But uh, describe what 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 are these temporary orders hearings and why are they the last bastion of trial by ambush? Well, they are. It's a it's a hearing early on in the case to basically set the ground rules for what everybody's got to play by while the case is pending. If there's children, who's going to have primary custody? What are possession schedules going to be? Who's paying child support, if anybody? Who's living in the house? Who's paying the bills? Is somebody moving out getting an apartment? How are we paying for all that? So it's really establishing the ground rules for what goes on while the case is pending. So like you said, we're, you know, we're, we get 20 minutes aside in these things. It has been historically fun, you know, the trial by ambush. <laughs> I can tell you that COVID took that away a bit because the courts were making us turn over our exhibits, you know, oh, a day before. before or two days before. Oh, here's yeah. the text chain I found between you and your boyfriend. Yeah, and so now they know about it. <laughs> so, surprise. Uh, I'm very happy to get back in the courtroom, <laughs> you know, get back to the ambush, you know. Uh-huh. So, um and, you know, the new disclosure rules are changing a little bit of that, too, you know, because you have to give over at least some certain basic information early on in a case. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been historically it's trial by ambush. We're getting back to it a little bit. Not all the courts are making us well, turn over good. exhibits early. <laughs> so, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see. That's that's. Yeah. That. OK. I mean, yeah, I, I've because <laughs> you guys really I mean, man, I. Uh, watch sitting there watching family law hearings like we'll we'll go, we'll be in trial all week over uh, just a, a a basic allegation and then i hear these temporary order hearings you know you molest the dog isn't that true no and i mean like, like you guys are throwing haymakers at each other and i mean you guys are just isn't it well that's what my client told me you know that you were isn't it true that you Film pornography? No. Okay. I mean, twenty minutes per side. Twenty minutes per side. Well, that's what my client told me you did. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's yeah, it just goes bananas in it's there. It's a different world. Yeah, it's a different world. It is same it courtroom, is. same judges, different world. I know, and I'm like, God, we're in trial in a week over. He grabbed your, you know, he grabbed you and pushed you. You know, and and that's just like, and 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 did it hurt or not feel hurt? And is this rash a bruise or is it a rash or is it a, you know? And, and so we 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 spend all week or in which day, county did it happen in? Exactly. Oh, in which county did it happen in? Yeah, that's. I don't think we were. Yeah, we weren't on the air when we told that one. But that, see, that's just too much about me. But um, what's your phone number, Eric? I've said my phone number on here know. a few times. Oh, come on, Heidi. Do we have his phone number? I'll give your cell number out. How's that? <laughs> Don't do that. No, I won't do that. Um, <laughs> this has been a very successful episode of the Lawyer Show podcast. Any parting shots? Oh, no. We can go oh, over no. by a minute. It's uh, not a big deal. Uh, we, just to anybody? I mean, not to you. I've got some clients that need you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. You well, guys are kind of the dynamic duo. I can, well, I mean, I, if we've all, seen it before. All you have to do is dial 972-369-0577 <laughs> to find out. 
Yeah. Well, I can get them divorced. You just have to keep them out of jail. That's right, man. Yeah. You know, it's that. Yeah. Boy, because the, the, the ex-spouse, they know where the bodies are buried. Yes, they do. <laughs> Figuratively yeah. and literally. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we'll catch you later.